Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome to the Employee of the Month show. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and on this episode, I sat down with the legendary comedy writer Robert Smigel, who has won a Grammy, two Emmys, had 20 Emmy nominations, and now, finally, after 25 years in the business, won the coveted Employee of the Month show award. Smigel got his real big break on SNL, where he was a writer and performer and instrumental in sketches like the McLaughlin Group and the Bears. He also shepherded in the ambiguously gay duo starring Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. And Smigel actually started the ambiguously gay duo on The Dana Carvey Show, where he was an executive producer. And the ambiguously gay duo became part of TV Funhouse, which was on Saturday Night Live forever and had its own run on Comedy Central as well. And I feel like that's just so emblematic of Smigel's career, where he has worked with other utterly brilliant comedy writers who are have their own unique voices but these guys all collaborate frequently whenever they can sometimes for credit sometimes not but I, I think that's just really instrumental that they know that they, they they believe in their voices enough and they have their own voices that they can also work together and his partners in crime I'm referring to are Dana Carvey, Bob Odenkirk, Dino Stamatopoulos, Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien, Judd Apatow, Adam Sandler and Louis C.K. And Lauren Michaels, uh, his boss at Saturday Night Live, has recently asked Smigel back, um, but he's busy working on his own films and TV projects. He worked with, he works with Sandler and Apatow a lot, things like Zohan and This Is 40, which I love Apatow, but This Is 40 was so confusing for me because there was no real conflict, it felt like, in his life. <laughs> and so it's a phenomenally hilarious script, but when I saw the film, it felt like a, a send-up of a Nancy Myers film. I mean, they were wealthy, but they might be a little less wealthy. So they'd have to go to a mansion that had, you know, a three-car garage instead of a four. And his beautiful wife, who's also his wife in real life, suddenly finds herself a mother of two who's now fertile at 40. And I thought, gosh, what a struggle. She's fertile at 40. Uh, can someone get cancer or something, <laughs> please? But it's really beautiful to see how these guys all work together. And... Um, also, Smigel's really instrumental in Late Night with Conan O'Brien, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary in, in one form or another on Late Night. Conan is, has been there for over two decades now. And Smigel was the first head writer, shepherding in the masturbating bear and triumph the insult comic dog. So I hope you enjoy listening to our interview, which was taped live at the Bell House. And please make sure to check out all of Robert Smigel's work, including Night of Too Many Stars. But for now, just sit back and enjoy our crazy interview. Thank you. Robert Smigel! excited now, but it's a huge letdown, I promise you. Robert. I, I apologize. Is this an Think Emmy about in your me. Think, This is an Emmy that Robert won for Night of Too Many Stars, and I wanted to pass it out like the Stanley Cup, except that it's a thousand times less important. But here, awesome. pass it around to distract yourself from the boredom you're about to experience. <laughs> so Seriously, it's a huge letdown. You'll see. And... Um, but if well, you let's, feel let's bad for yourself, it. if you feel bad for yourself, Think just consider your it's a huge letdown for me, too. Seriously, every day I get up and I look in the mirror 
And I'm like, oh, so you don't have the dog? <laughs> All right, just brush your teeth and let's get it over with. I do want to talk about, well, we can start with Night of Too Many Stars, which is a legendary now in the making um, phenomenal charity that raises money <laughs> for autism, not pro-autism, but um, <laughs> providing... No, well, we're not against <laughs> or for. We really aren't. We're for people, we're trying to help people who have it. And he raised Honestly. over $14 million. Something like that. Last year it was four. We did, I think we've done $18 million over I the apologize. last eight years. And um, it's something we're very proud of. And uh, we uh, get everybody, literally everybody, everybody from Chris Rock to Seinfeld to Steve Carell and Will Ferrell, they all come. It's amazing. It's amazing. an inc incredible show on Comedy Central that you can watch, um, but I more Next important, year. <laughs> more important than watching it, you can also give. So I wanted you to plug the uh, nonprofits mm. that you and There's your no wife real place especially to give. work with. There's no real place to give right now. Is so. that right? Yeah, right, it's well, on next us. year. I did want to If you Google the Katy Perry video, everybody, if you want to know what we do, <laughs> why we do it. No, not a silly Katy Perry video. <laughs> no, we, there, if you Google Katy Perry and Jody you'll see what it is, why we do this show. And it, believe me, it's worth your trouble. But what our charity does is we help kids who, uh, we don't, it's not a research charity, it's a, uh, because everybody does that and it's very important, but there's just a huge shortage of schools and programs for kids and adults. Something I've experienced personally having an autistic child and, and so it's, uh, it's just uh, a big deal. Well, I'm very proud and I think I speak on behalf of everyone here and grateful that you have spearheaded this and really gone out of the way to get Hollywood to give. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> we're going to segue to another thing. Some of your credits. You have so yeah, many let's illustrious Let's talk about credits. what an asshole I am. I'm much more comfortable okay. with that. Um, you've been kicked out of Westminster Kennel Club, kicked out of the 2000... Three times, yes. Three times. Kicked out of the 2004 Democratic National Convention. Yes, the Democrats are, have, have much less of a sense of humor than the Republicans. Shocking, enough. I know. Um, in 2008, I was kicked out, I think, by... No, 2004, also the Republicans. Okay, it's good. Right. So it's nonpartisan. I yelled at Abe. bipartisan. Abe Hirschfeld was passing in a wheelchair, <laughs> and I screamed, Abe! During George Bush's speech, and immediately, like, four guys, <laughs> and I was questioned backstage. It just... They're there to protect Abe Hirschman. And you were condemned by the Canadian Parliament. You were sued by Pets.com. Yeah. Leaped on every major network TV show to fresh air with Terry Gross. What are your legal bills like? There are none. I, because uh, NBC, uh, NBC, uh, what is it? What's the term? Uh, indemnifies me. Thank you. At least they used to before the whole thing that happened with, uh, with you know, with, with Jay and all oh. that. Which I don't want to discuss. It's just, that's why I don't do interviews at but all. But it's interesting, because, I mean, <laughs> with TV Funhouse also, you were, you know, constantly pushing the buttons, I imagine, with the um, FCC. Yeah, we had some banned ones there. I did one called Conspiracy Theory Rock, which gets around the internet a lot, which was based on an NYU professor named Mark Crispin Miller, who, a uh, brilliant guy, who uh, created a whole chart showing how the media is controlled by, like, three or four Conglomeration. So I did a schoolhouse rock kind of explanation of that that was very specific and very critical of GE, who was owning NBC at the time. And somehow they let it on. They let the show on. And then Bob Wright, who was the president of NBC at the time, uh, happened to come home that night at 1230 <laughs> when it was on. The, the standards people said, well, let it on, but put it on at like 1230. Well, Bob Wright came home at 1230. 
that night. So he flipped on SNL. Usually he probably only watches through a weekend update like most people. And, um, <laughs> and he saw it, and there was, there was problems. Bob Wright turned out to be, he's, a, he's an incredible guy, and he did what he had to do at the time. And, and it's on my DVD, if you ever want to see it. It's there. He let me, pers- he, he, I called him after the fact. And he said, yeah, put it on. And, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there was that. I did one about Michael Jackson. They tried to sue me, Michael Jackson's. A- but do you get off on this a little bit of like constantly, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know every loophole by now, I but I mean, is there I part just, of you that enjoys these kind of kerfuffles? I enjoy them after the fact, like Eminem. So yeah, triumph- no, so you should, you should set that up. That the MTV Awards, I went up to J-Lo one year and I asked her if I could sniff her ass and... But I warned her in advance. I like got to talk to her in the commercial break, and I'm like this pathetic, kneeling, balding Jew with a puppet. And how threatening could I be? So I'm asking her. I got a couple of jokes. Is it okay? What's it about? She says. Well, is it about my butt? Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do? And then, and she went with it. And then the next year... You realize Anthony Weiner and Elliot Spitzer share Judaism in common. What? I just like that that's your, like, pass. I'm a Jewish guy. It's fine if I make obnoxious sexually <laughs> <laughs> explicit jokes. At least I'm not a it's Catholic okay. priest, folks. <laughs> is that what they're... Is that their attitude? It's all the same. I don't know. I just... So, um, <laughs> so then the next year, it was Eminem. Uh, I was with Moby. I was planted next to Moby. And they said, you'll go up to Eminem afterward. And I said, okay, can we tell Eminem? And they're like, ah gonna love it. You know, you know Eminem, he's hilarious. He's Eminem. Now, all of your peers, Conan, uh, Dana Carvey, Judd yes. Apatow, have all said in different interviews that you are one of the greatest sketch comedy writers in the history of sketch comedy writing, and that you're the writer's writer. Very nice of them. It is very nice of them, because they were also your bosses at different points. But I was gonna yeah. ask you... And um, my peons, too. It's like, they've all passed me. It's... It's very, very well, so comforting to my wife. What I- <laughs> but what is that like? I mean, you hang out with people who are so rich. Adam Sandler, Judd <laughs> Apatow, Louis C.K. I mean, I understand because, like, some of right. my friends have dishwashers and a, a couple have, like, laundry on their block. So I do understand what it's like to wonder what it's like to have a disposal. But yeah. for you, it, does that come up at all? That How rich they are? yeah. I mean, they don't like to talk about it much. <laughs> the weird thing is bringing my kids over to their houses. Do they? It's like, here's my buddy Conan, you know, <laughs> and it's just, you know, he lives in Shea Stadium. They <laughs> moved it to the West Coast. <laughs> they didn't have any more use for it in Queens, so they moved it to the West Coast. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I, that's a little weird, but I mean, look, I love these guys. They're, they're, they're not assholes in, in, in terms of that at all. No. They're, and they're like the nicest... They are, they're just people I got started with, and they, you know. It's, it's almost unbelievable. You guys have all worked together in different capacities, yeah. and I think that your cohorts, you and your cohorts, sort of shepherded in this new genre of comedy with uh, bromances and, and man-children and really funny, absurd <laughs> stuff, um, and you made comedy nerds cool. And I was just right. wondering if you ever resent your fans who, you know, you guys were really genuinely feral. And, um, right. They actually can like milk it and get a lot of sex from it now. Well, that's Apatow. He had more to do with that. I mean, I went to Star Wars. I went to a line of Star Wars fans and just tore them to shreds. Which but was they amazing. loved it. They loved it though because I mean, they're nerdy enough to get it. 
I mean, look, I'm a bigger nerd than any of them as far as I'm concerned, so... But I ju- it seemed like for you guys, you really genuinely were nerds and isolated and alienated, and now <laughs> it is the cool thing. Were? <laughs> well, come on, now you've created this... this I mean, you've made it on mainstream television. Yeah, but I'm just going to go home and cry myself to sleep like I always do. But you have a wife <laughs> lying next to you I while do. you do it. I do, I do. I have a... Thank God for my family. Otherwise, it would be... Boy, I wouldn't see anybody. Ever. It's true. <laughs> one, one of your contemporaries who also came before you was a phenomenal writer, Jim Downey. Had, um, oh, yeah. You had quoted him saying he was a, at Saturday Night Live forever and really made one of instrumental in making the show what it is. Yeah. He, he had said that actors want to portray a crazy person in a normal <laughs> situation. Yes. And writers want to compose normal people in crazy situations. But you That's need correct. balance. Well, yeah, I mean... That's the most like stereotypical, but but accurate approach. I mean, writers like ideas, you know. And Saturday Night Live goes through periods where the balance shifts, sometimes too far in one direction. Like in the late, like sort of, there was this male period in the '90s after I left, where it got very, as Lauren called it, Ivy League. (laughs) (laughs) And then he brought in a whole new cast of amazing people like Will Ferrell and, and uh, Molly Shannon, Cheryl Taylor, but then it went completely in the opposite direction. Every sketch was a w- wacky person with four other people going, huh? Mm. And there's a lot of watching the star who's wearing a wig and loud. And it was, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I wrote things like that. I loved, I, felt, I always felt like one of the reasons I succeeded there was because I, I really enjoyed writing for actors. And it was something Lauren said the second week I was there, he addressed the writing staff. It was a horrible year. It was 1985. 85, where they, they had just gotten, they had Lord gotten had rid of him back. and brought him back. They got rid of the legendary, like, Christopher Guest left and Harry Shearer, Billy Crystal, and all those uh, amazing people. And then they, Lauren decided to take a chance and try Robert Downey and, you know, Randy Quaid, like movie actors. And, um, you know, and they weren't quite ready some of them to be on uh, SNL. To be funny. Yeah. yeah, but he said the second week we were there, he said, if you make the actors look good, then your writing will look good. And, and you know, I, I, that was like the best advice I ever got for that show anyway, because it really is a show about performers, you know, you know popping and bursting through the, uh, the screen. And, and, and I, I was always a performer myself. Like, that's how they found me. I was on, in a sketch show in Chicago, so... So I got that, I, and so I enjoyed writing for performers. Now, sh- that's a good segue to show running. You were such a phenomenal writer. Excellent segue. <laughs> well done. The only one we've got. Um, <laughs> you were such a phenomenal writer that when Conan started his show, um, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary, yeah. he brought you on as the showrunner. Yeah, well, Conan, I don't know if it was, I was so great. I mean, Conan and I were right, just Right, you were terrible, really and that's why he asked you I to was show awful. for the no, show. He, no, because exactly. we, we, we were really, like, I mean, I overlap with, like, a lot of people in different ways. And, but Conan and I uh, wrote a lot of sketches together yes. at Saturday Night Live, and, and we really connected uh, in uh, a part of his kind of comedy that he found really important, which is absurdism and, and cartooniness. Like, I always, like, part of me wishes Conan could have written the cartoons with me all those years. Just how much fun I would have had doing that. But I think he, he did okay. And I, you know. Yeah, let's not feel too Triumph and triumph exists because I, of that. So that's good. I but was going to ask you about show running because it's sort of in television, a writer, as they move up, the way that they get. Um, yeah, I got burned out very quickly. So a year and a half in. Now, showrunners are supposed yeah. to have a 100% burnout rate, but yours happened real quick. Well, 
the thing is, <laughs> you know, everybody stays on their jobs longer now because everybody's terrified. You know, people at SNL used to leave after three or four years. Now people have been there for like literally 16 years, writers or, or more. But I mean, that show, to me, it was just the thrill. It was the best job I ever had, the most exciting job. Thing I wanted to do more than anything was the idea of like following Letterman, who is our, my hero, greatest talk show host ever to me, and uh, and getting the chance to create something totally different with these other amazing writers. And uh, it was um, the, the creation of it was fantastic. But then, like about a year in, we'd kind of figured out how, what worked on the show, and then it's like, okay, now we're just going to do what you do on a talk show, which is you repeat the bits if you, that are working if, over and over. If you watch the videos, I feel like you guys are so feral. Like, there's no difference <laughs> between offstage and on. You guys are, like, chewing gum during the bits. Yeah. Well, and I call it our flailing period because, <laughs> like, I was literally pushing us to try everything, just see what could work and anything that didn't feel like Letterman. I had all these crazy rules, you know, originally. Like what? I, well, originally, like, uh, well, I had, like, really obscure ones, like, no, all birds, all talking birds must talk like a parrot. <laughs> just just thought that was funnier, no matter what kind of bird it was. That's and, like all uh, of your dogs sound and, like Russian and, immigrants. Yeah, well, that's because dogs, that's because dogs have that same wide-eyed wonder that a Russian immigrant had in the turn of the century. Right. Coming over the boat. Look at all of these! <laughs> I can't believe America. <laughs> so that's where, that was always in my head. And oddly enough, that was like when I was 10 years old. That, that, was, my, that was how I talked as a dog, even when I was 10 years old. I'm not kidding. But thank God they gave Conan the show and, and him, you know, room to grow, and, and it allowed yeah. you to experiment. You didn't always have that luck. A lot of your shows, including the Dana Carvey show, which had a no. dream team of Charlie That's, Kaufman, yeah, of Louis Stephen C. Colbert, Louis C.K., all these yeah. phenomenal, um, lots of diversity and, and, yeah. and you know, women. And, um, <laughs> but you, had you know, women weren't funny in those days. I, I, that's what I'm told. I'm told. You don't remember what it was like in the mid-90s. <laughs> there were very few women on the planet. Um, no wonder they, it's no wonder that they were grumpy and unfunny. Nowadays, it's women everywhere. That's right. Now, I wanted to show a clip of one of the shows. I wanted to show something that you've never seen because, you know, it's more fun, I thought. And this is, I've had many failures, and this was one. Originally, uh, TV Funhouse was going to be a clown show, my spinoff show. It ended up having animal puppets, but this version was a clown show, a parody of Bozo's Circus, which was a show that ran in Chicago for about 25 years. Let's just watch. Let's this is the most fucked bit. up show that I ever did enjoy. We dim these lights. From the WGS studios in Secaucus, New Jersey, the Saturday TV Funhouse is on the air, starring Frozo, most people's favorite clown. Taped in front of an audience of children and their parents. Our furry feline, Furball the Cat. That's the TV Funhouse Band. Uncle Floyd. And me, I'm Ringmaster Ted. And I'm here with a big hello and a cast of thousands. 
your Jewish head, you know it, clap your head. If you're Chinese and you know it, not Korean, come and show it. If you're Chinese and you know it, clap your head. If you're Catholic and you know it, clap your head. If you're any form of Christian, clap your head. Or if your mom's completely Asian, but your father is Caucasian, making you an Amerasian, clap your head. Oh, okay. We're all different. There you go. It got, cr- it got more and more fucked up. Did you have that. kids by then when you did that? I did not, but my nephews were in the audience. And how much? Did Here, you, you s- can put. How it much in. did you sell that for? How much did I sell? How that much did for? you? Yeah. How much did you make? What? It got that bought. was a pilot. Yeah. No, they produced it. Fox produced it. Yeah. So how much did they pay for something like that? <sighs> I don't remember what the budget was. It, as you can see, it wasn't much. <laughs> but that show was very cheap, so it was very easy to recreate. But well, thank God for those services that get you audiences. I don't know what they said to those people. They s- I made sure they said <laughs> it's like a show for adults, but it's sort of for kids. And there were a couple of places where it was too much. We let the kids out of the room, and there was like a song. They all marched out because the show was going to be too dirty. It was like, time for the little ones to go. <laughs> this is the filthiest part of the show. It's a dirty cartoon, but you'll be back soon. And there's ice cream in the next room. Woo! Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, that was, um, you know, it was just an odd experience, but they stayed. They liked it, except for one African-American mom who... Black. Yeah, black. Is that what they used to say? That's quaint. No, so and she came up to me. She could. She, she, I was the clown. Well, you don't know if she's African American. She could be West Indies. You know, there's all different. I agree. I no, I don't know. She was something. Anyway, by my impression that you're about to hear, you make your own decision. So she looked at me and she said, "Y'all going to hell?" <laughs> and she just walked out. Duly deserved. Duly deserved. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to ask your your okay. father is an incredible. Incredibly famous and successful <laughs> dentist. He, he invented is. tooth bonding, right? He Cosmetic is, he is uh, way more important to dentistry than I could ever be to comedy. He's like the, the Steve Martin of, do, of you dentistry. Do not feel sorry for him. <laughs> um, no, I'm Did it provide pressure on you? No, it, um, no, because he was pushed into being a dentist. And so, yeah, there was, I put pressure on myself because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't think I could succeed in show business. That just seemed ridiculous. And so I went to college, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I took pre-med courses because I was like, well, he's got a great practice, and I'd probably be pretty good at it. Uh, but, you know, I was so bad at science courses. Yeah, didn't you flunk one of the... Cl- you I went flunked, from Yeah, it was hysterical. Cornell to Because, like, my dad had a lot of prestige, and so they wanted to take me into his alma mater, NYU, so badly... That they, uh, that they, like, you know, admitted me. And I hadn't even finished. I had, like, a C average. And the admissions director, she, like, takes me. And, I, and, I, and by now, I had, I had done a stand-up comedy contest at NYU. And I had won. And I was like, oh, fuck. Strangers think I'm funny. Okay. I'm going to have to take a year, at least, and just see. And so I'm telling her that I'm going to defer. And she's like, that's great. We want renaissance men, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Come back in a year. Have you finished all your courses? 
Um, I, uh, I haven't finished. Uh, I have to take uh, organic chemistry to uh, one more time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you do? What, what did you get in it? Uh, I, I got an F. As in fantastic. I got an F. No, and she's like, hmm, yeah, an F. <laughs> she's thinking about it. <laughs> She's mulling it over. <laughs> She's like, it's Dr. Smigel, it's not an F minus. <laughs> uh, yeah, an F, yeah, you're going to, no, we're not going to, we, we, no, we can't take you, we can't admit you with an F, I'm sorry. It just killed her. It was the most ridiculous thing. But I was embarrassed for it. It's her. also, I, I love that your father was phenomenally successful and that it, it gave you incentive and also, you know, you knew what success looked like and how hard it took. For him to well, get there. yeah, I, I, yes, I had had a lot of respect for him. He worked very hard. He didn't really enjoy dentistry until he figured out, you know, he developed the tooth bonding procedure that, uh, you know, sort of had a huge impact and changed. You've done it. No, I have not. Okay, well then, why are you smiling? I was just showing why? off my major. You're act. just saying, oh, I don't need your dad. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if he ever needs me, I'm available for commercials. No, but you have to. Oh well, you maybe for his toothpaste. He yeah. sells a toothpaste. It's a whole thing. So I wanted anyway. to I wanted to give you some ruggle. You came all the way from New Jersey, and this is from your home state. Thank but they you. sell it for more in Brooklyn. Well, I was born in Manhattan, but I live in Jersey That's now. That's right. And and um. Thank you. I also wanted Thank to give much. you a record from Bill Cosby because mm. you. <laughs> I used to write sketches with Adam Sandler, where Bill, that were entirely gibberish. Where he would just play Bill Cosby doing "You Bet Your Life." Remember when he hosted? Yes. It was just, well, it's about the gills that you bet your life. It was the happiest day of my life. Four minutes of gibberish <laughs> made Saturday Night Live. Oh, I forgot to ask you. You also did an impression of Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, that's... Well, I, w I wouldn't call it an impression. I'd call it, like, the harsh reality that I was able to look like him with... It was so sad, because this is one of the most hide hideous men on the planet. Can I tell you, can I tell you something really traumatizing? What? As a kid, I went to a, um, this beach in Martha's Vineyard every summer. I know that's the traumatizing part. Yeah. And um, I'm kidding. But he was there naked every year. He's no. an nudist. He was the first man I saw naked. Luckily, Was not he the last. well hung, at least? No, it's, it's really little. And it, it, he sits, he always sits like it still open. Takes, he, he still thinks it takes direct attention away from his face. Anything I can, <laughs> I, you know, I know it's small, but still. I, fa I, found your, I found your impressions of him very, very cathartic after that. Uh, I think it was, it was just that I kid. looked like him. I mean, I, can't, I remember the horror the first time at SNL. They were, it was a Woody Allen, Mia Farrow sketch, and they needed a Dershowitz, and they made me up, and I looked in the mirror, and I was so upset how much I looked like Dershowitz. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm just a couple of bad choices away from <laughs> being a horror show. Um, Not that this is a good choice. <laughs> this is my Kevin Pollack look. Now you're, fi now you're fishing. Now you're fishing. <laughs> no, I'm not. The one thing I just want, the last question I wanted to ask was, you've had so much success and you're very aware of it and, and incredibly humble. You, you've also said that you've blown a lot of your chances at success in film and TV. Spit it out. Everybody knows. No, what? <laughs> I've blown a lot of my, What? That you had a lot of success and you've said that you've, you've blown it, that you haven't always lived up to it. Do you really feel that way, that, that you're not a success? I don't remember that quote. I, it was in a Mike Sachs interview. <laughs> Mike Sachs interview. Oh, yeah, I mean, I made, well, look, I, you saw that show. <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes I've blown it, I think, just by not 
overreaching, like trying to by, by overreaching, by trying to sell things to people who are just never going to, like, like the Dana Carvey show should have been on cable. But sometimes it was the exciting thing was taking the big swing. Like we want to do a primetime show with SNL um, sensibility. And we thought, and that was what made it exciting. And so, and, you know, if it had been on HBO, I think it would have been, it had Steve Carell and Colbert. And it was uncle. Louis was the head writer. It was an amazing show. And Charlie theory. Kaufman. And Charlie Kaufman, who's, you know, succeeded. Steve Carell says it was <laughs> the greatest. Steve Carell says it was the greatest uh, time of his life, actually. Did he say that? He said that on your probably DVD. The last time, oh, yeah. Well, it was probably <laughs> the last time he ever could just be hilarious without having to feel pressure. It was like everything was gravy at that point. It was just, he, he was found very late. He was like in, in his 30s, and he'd never gotten a break. L okay, it'll happen for all of us. <laughs> it um, will happen. Robert Smigel, it was such a treat to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That's it for this episode of the Employee of the Month show. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Smigel. And please, um, if you want to donate, you can go to New York Collaborates for Autism. The website is www.nyc4a.org. That's nyc4a.org. Thank you to Joel Arnold for editing this podcast and to all of you for listening. I hope you are working on your dream jobs. I really need to start working on mine. Oh, wait, I am. I am working on mine. This is it. So thank you for making my dreams come true. Oh, that was really sweet. <laughs>